I still care a lot about my job, even though it's eight years later and yeah, I yeah. still feel like it's the first class I ever taught. Yeah. So I've heard, um, I forgot who it was. It was some actor or performer that was performing for his whole life, like 20 years, but almost every single performance he would go to the bathroom before and puke mm-hmm. every single time. And it goes to show that his entire lifetime, he was able to be earnest and in tune with whether or not it was something he still cared about. And I think that's important to make sure like, hey, if this is, you know, if this isn't something you want to keep doing, then don't do it. Don't force it, you know? Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's good that you still like yoga. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of um, course. And uh, <laughs> yoga actually helped save my life multiple times. Yeah. Yeah, there's some some really <laughs> interesting aspects of your story. So your book, as I was stating, um, you have an audio book. So I, I got that, put it up uh, to 2x so that I could listen to the majority of it um, in time. And I got from chapter one to like chapter 23 or 24. It's like 30, 30 chapters. And I didn't get to the end, but I got to a good amount of uh, the juicy stuff. And um, yeah, so I'd love for you to maybe just be wherever you want to start um, describing your life, like your journey, your story, and maybe introduce like the name of your book. And yeah. we could just kind of roll from there. Let's roll with it. Yeah. Okay. Um, my book, Wild Journey to the Light, um, available on all platforms. <laughs> um, and the audio version is in my voice. It all came about because I had this little fantasy whenever I was like going through a really hard time that I had to find my light but not just for myself, but for anybody who read my book. Mm. And my book was just my handwritten journal. Mm. And eventually, my future readers kind of became my strength. Mm -hmm. So I started the journaling whenever I was going through a divorce. Um, And that's when yoga really came into my life. I had a very controlling ex-husband, and I couldn't really go out or do anything without him being jealous about it, Mm -hmm. but I could go to yoga And then I would go to the grocery store and I would write in my journal before I went grocery shopping. Mm. So, and I hid my journal underneath my car Mm. seat because I didn't want them to find it. Yeah. So, um, yoga really helped save me from having like a huge mental breakdown during my divorce. I got married really young. So I got married when I was 24 and then I'm 37 now, Mm -hmm. but I was divorced by 25. Mm. So I knew it was a mistake when I did it. I just... I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So young, silly, whatever. Um, But that's when yoga came into my life. And then, you know, the story of my wild journey kind of took on a different role. I felt as if I had to go down every deep, dark corner so I could be relatable to whoever could be reading this, whether Mm. you're a guy or a girl. I was mischievous as fuck, (laughs) (laughs) as you have read. And part of me was like, well, I have this human shell. Like, 
let's use it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you can either use it for good or you can use it for bad. And there was a big time when I was going through my divorce where I didn't use it for the best things. Mm -hmm. And I actually was able to make money off of my body in different ways, which I speak about in my book. And, you know, I went down very dark corners. Let's just say that. And then I found myself in like a very, very dark, dark place. I found myself in Nicaraguan jail. Yeah. And then. This was a crazy part of the book where I was like, holy shit. I was on my couch listening to this. Well, you're on the edge of your seat. (laughs) Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. I mean, I should be on this story locked up abroad, but like, (laughs) you know. Submit it. No, I'm saving it for my TV series that I'm Uh going to be doing next. So. They say if you aren't scared about what you're doing, then you're not dreaming big enough. Mm. And so I like made the book. I'm making the retreats and now I'm like dreaming a little bit bigger by making it into a TV series because I mean, it's a crazy wild story and there's nothing really out there right now that has yoga as the main theme that helped me get through it all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, showing different modalities of how you can heal, how you can take back your power, how you can get yourself out of these dark places no matter what. And I kind of wanted to be living proof for that. And so that's what this book is all about. Like, I have seen some dark shit. And you wouldn't think that meeting me because I've made it my power instead of you having my pain hinder me, Mm -hmm. which is crucial into evolution and growth because you can't change what has happened in the past. Yeah. All we can do is learn from it, grow from it, evolve from it, share our story, hopefully help others and do the whole cycle of the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I found myself in Nicaraguan jail. Mm -hmm. Once more, yoga saved my life um, because they had nothing. They took away everything. But the one thing they couldn't take away was my yoga practice. Mm. And I had gotten off the rocker because I was crazy wild girl living in Costa Rica. Um. So my practice went to the side, but when I was in jail in Nicaragua, I was 18 girls and only four beds and super overcrowded. And we slept like little centipedes. You get comfy. Spooning each other. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Um, But I had my practice and they couldn't take that away. And it was so empowering because I was just like, fuck you guys. (laughs) (laughs) And so I asked the girls to move over and I started to do my practice and I started to make movement my medicine. Mm-hmm. And the girls started to see what was happening and they lit up and the they girls were like, in the prison, yeah, yeah, the yeah. girls that I was in the cell, there was yeah. one women's cell and then like nine guy cells all around. Yeah. And the guys had like 26 people in six beds. So like, Whoa. it was crazy in Nicaragua. If one person has something in the house or if one child came home with something, mm-hmm. the whole family would go to jail. So it was a lot mm. of families. Wow. It, Nicaraguan police can basically do whatever the fuck they want. And Damn. like we tried to pay them off. That didn't really work. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Be careful who you cross borders with kids. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, I did my practice and the girls wanted me to teach them. And they had been so sweet to me because it's like the I found that the people who have nothing are the ones that share the most. Mm-hmm. And it was just so beautiful and touching. I had nothing. I didn't have friends or family that lived there. So like that's how they were able to eat and mm-hmm. have like toothpaste and yeah. shampoo and stuff like that. And I had never been to Nicaragua before. So I was like lost. And my mm-hmm. parents didn't even know where I was. It was a surprise border run trip. 
So I taught the girls yoga and I taught them little like partner exercises to do together. Mm-hmm. And they just lit the fuck up. They had this sparkle in their eyes and like in Nicaraguan jail, they learned sign language because you have to be quiet. Mm. And they were signing like, she's teaching us yoga. And the girls were happy, which made the guys happy because like I say, it was a lot of like husbands and yeah. brothers and like family members. They could, the, the male prisoners could see the girls lit, the girls lit yeah, up with their spirits happy. lifted up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so I didn't really know what the hell I was about to do. But um, what happened next was kind of like jaw dropping. But they started to like get really loud and really happy and excited. And they started throwing food and screaming and thanking God that I had come in there and all of these things. And I was just like overwhelmed because I was kind of in fear because the captain was walking around. Yeah, yeah. And I swear he hadn't had sex in years. He had like this perma frown. Yeah. He was an angry, angry old man. Yeah. And he just was looking in at us and like everybody was happy and roaring and like the whole jail cell was like. Both the men and the women. Men, women, everybody's yeah. like throwing things. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, holy shit, I'm about to go to like a private room and be like kept yeah. to the side and like nobody can ever see me. I was so scared. So I was in the shower and of course in the shower over there, you had to have another person pour water over you. And there was a little hole in the ground, the same place where you went poop. Mm, nice. Yeah. Cozy. Humble. Yeah. Uh, so I had another girl helping me take a shower because I was trying to hide from the captain. Mm. And in the middle of my shower, all the girls come running in and we're like, es tu libre, es tu libre, vamos allá. Which is like, you're free, you're free, go now. And I was like, what? what? I literally ran out of the jail cell in a towel. Um, I basically got kicked out of Nicaraguan jail for teaching yoga. And I wasn't a yoga teacher at the time. I didn't quite understand the magnitude of that story or being released from jail until like three years later. That was your first time teaching yoga. That was my first time That's teaching yoga. That's such a badass way to get into the practice. Well, I, well, three years it took me for it to actually land the significance of the meaning of that experience. I like, I got out of jail and of course, did my crazy party girl thing and mm-hmm. was kind of stuck in Costa Rica for another year and a half. And I was really lost over there trying to find myself. Yeah. Going in all the deep, dark corners. But I was like determined to find my light, determined to stand on my own two feet, mm-hmm. like determined to find self-love because mm-hmm. I was trying to find love everywhere else. Yeah, yeah. And this is where yoga once more saved my life. It helped me um, three years later, whenever I came back to the States, I had a really bad alcohol problem and I got really addicted to cocaine in Costa Rica. And so like, I was killing myself basically and I couldn't understand why I would do this to myself, but I was also like really lost. Um, and when I moved back to the States, I started working for this little company called Juiceland. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked there for like three years, tried to get healthy, you know, do the different mindset of like waking up early, drinking juice, being Austin healthy. It's too, right? Yeah, it's in Austin. Yeah. Wonderful company. I love that company so much because um, they do this thing where they give away a grant to one of their employees to go after their dreams. Mm-hmm. And it's called the Fresh for Life grant. Mm. And they give away like, at the time, it was two grand. 
And that was exactly how much it would cost to do my teacher training back in 2017. And um, it all clicked because they said, you have to write an essay as to why you deserve this grant. And then something told me that my Nicaraguan jail story would be the story that would get me this <laughs> grant. And of course I was like, okay, nobody's ever really heard this. Like I was kind of ashamed of it. So I pushed it aside. Most people didn't know that I was in Nicaraguan jail yeah. um, until, you know, I started to come out with it, with my story. And yeah, so I won the grant and I said that if I won the grant that I was meant to be a yoga teacher because I was like, I got released from Nicaraguan jail for teaching yoga. How could I not see this sign a lot sooner? But alcohol and drugs will do that to you, mm -hmm. you know, cloud the mind. Yeah. And, have you not see things properly. So when I started to clear up and work for Juiceland and live a healthier lifestyle, I was able to see my next steps a lot clearer. Yeah. So, yeah. Huh. So it saved my life a few times. Yoga has been like the thing that's helped me have self-discovery, mm -hmm. learn my boundaries, because when I was drinking and on drugs, I didn't know my boundaries. And I didn't know how to like protect my energetic field. And they call alcohol a spirit for a reason because your crown chakra is open. Mm. And so whenever you drink or, you know, take man-made drugs or anything like that, you're opening up your channel for whatever to come in. Mm. And me as an empath, I just was like a sponge and absorbed a lot of like, that's a great thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, got right into the, <laughs> the, juicy. To the, the juicy aspect of your story, story right in the beginning. Um, I always do that. Which is great. So I know. The hook, I'm like, the line. <laughs> you're hooking in the listeners. I do that when I go on dates too. I try to like tell them my most wild story. Right to away? See. I don't the know how. Date? I know. My roommate says it's a bad idea. Yeah. But yeah. it's like I have nothing to hide. And like dating these days, like it's hard to find somebody that'll actually like stand next to me with all of my dirty laundry out there. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, can you handle me? Yeah. I know I'm a lot. But yeah. 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 Well, thank you for sharing that story. I, <laughs> when I was um, listening to the the prison story, I was just, yeah, blown away by how the movement of your body, um, you uplifting women's spirits in that prison cell, because they're probably not doing any of those stretches ever. Right. And they have the bare, bare necessities. They're not really, it's not a comfortable place. Um, and the fact that it was co-ed too, like there's not, that's not usually a thing, at least in the United States, you don't have a co-ed prison where you have males and females together. The fact that it was yoga, the practice of moving your body in different ways, unleashing different parts of you that like makes you just uplifted. And then that uplifted the woman, which then the men observed, uplifted them, they start going nuts with energy, like a good energy and praising you. And then the guard to just like, get her out of here. Let's, <laughs> let's free her. That's so wild. Um, I definitely have some strong angels. Yeah. And definitely like movement is medicine. It's so beautiful yeah. too to like see the shift in energy just simply by moving yourself. And a lot of people are miserable because like, yeah, yeah, they were so stiff and crowded and mm -hmm. couldn't move and, yeah, I, I find myself just, I don't know if it's genetic and it's a different breed of human being. There's certain people I see that just don't move that much and they're fine. They're sane people. 
And for me, I, I have to, I have to move my body every single day. Um, doesn't have to be like intense strength training, but, uh, at least like five of the days it does. Um, and it just makes me sane. <laughs> like I, I'm able, my thought process, my just overall health, I just feel, um, so refreshed and yeah, movement is medicine as well as nutrition. And, um, yeah, I've been, ever since I moved to Austin, I've been developing a relationship to all these health modalities and movement was the beginner. Right. And, uh, then like sauna and ice and now it's like nutrition. I'm trying to figure out what foods best fit me right now in this stage. I'm 30 years old. And so trying to, uh, maybe lean away from all the foods that I was eating before 30. Um, and that's kind of radical. Trying different foods to see how it feels. Yeah. You know, your taste buds change every seven years. I think I've heard that. I wasn't sure if it was every seven years, but, um, so yeah. Um, have you ever heard of, um, eating right for your dosha type? No. What's it's dosha? a, it's a Ayurvedic technique. It's actually, um, it What's was, that? so Ayurveda <laughs> is, um, it's the sister science of yoga. So yoga is the asana movement practice. Mm. But then Ayurveda is um, basically we're all born with something called a prakriti. And it's basically your constitution, like what you are born into this world with. Mm -hmm. There's three different kinds. There's, um, there's vata, pitta, and kapha. And so depending on your dosha type, um, it's the mindfulness of eating right. Mm. So... We've got the asana practice, and then we've got the Ayurvedic eating and becoming mindful also of the seasons, and then, like, mm. adapting with the seasons, because right now we're in summertime. It's, yeah. like, very pitta, very fiery. So it's, like, we all kind of need to, like, cool down a little bit more in order for us to walk around more balanced. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, we didn't always have a grocery store hundreds of years ago where we could just pick any food we wanted year round. So our bodies had to change due to the seasons changing. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to not be really fixed with and lazy with my nutrition plan. Like I eat healthy whole foods, steak. It's, it's more like meat based. Um, but it's boring. I got to spice it up a little bit. And yeah. uh, so anyways. Um, you got to like what you eat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like what I eat, but it's just, it's getting stale. I need to start chefing it up a little bit. But, um, anyways, uh, <laughs> your story, um, we got right to the juicy part and I would like to, if you feel called to share the beginning where, where maybe trauma stemmed from. And for me, I was actually just telling my buddy Ryan, um, you're your, your roommate and if he's okay with me saying that you guys are roommates. Um, but, uh, I was telling him about certain things that have happened to me in my past. And I've discussed this on the podcast uh, at a very young age at three mother passed four years old. Dad's ex-girlfriend now ex-girlfriend, um, was very abusive to me. So like directly after my mom passed. So it was like really like embedded in my nervous system, the loss of my mother and then uh, being abused in different ways. Um, 
And so I've been able to, over the course of the past five years, just see why I did what I did. So I, I drank a decent amount starting around like 13, 14 years old. My grandfather on my dad's side, who I never met, was an alcoholic. I never, just, he wasn't in the picture. Um, he was abusive as well. And I think he was, I have a intuition. I know that he was masking traumas and, and his own creative, authentic self through drinking. Um, or like he was, he had to repress who he was in order to just be uh, accepted in American society in the 1950s, 60s, whatever, which is oh, yeah. men, very rigid. Men haven't been able to feel. Yeah. And yes. feel safe feeling. Yeah. So he, yeah, that's, I wasn't there to, to observe it, but yeah. I could, I could uh, assume maybe that was why he had a drink. Anyways, um, I like to share my uh, vulner vulnerabilities on the podcast because I think people should do that more often. You said with me on a, or in a previous conversation that, you know, um, we should be talking about this more often. And a lot of people sometimes awkwardly listen to you and they're like, they don't know what to say. And it's maybe they just, Maybe they had a perfect life. Maybe they don't have anything to share. I don't or, think anybody has a perfect life. I don't think so either. But uh, but it helps you be more relatable. Yeah. And vulnerability is sexy. Yeah. It really is. It's like authenticity is something that me personally, I'm craving because I got so vulnerable with my book. I'm like, if you can't get vulnerable with me, then like, yeah, what is this? It's a facade. Yeah. I like the real version of people because it also helps me bring in a little bit more compassion. And if we could all just be more real, we can hold better space for one another. That is yeah. the other side is like respectfully listening. Mm -hmm. Well said. And my friend Camille, um, I had her on the podcast and I released a few clips and um, one of her, one of the clips I shared was of a shame list that you develop with your partner. Mm. And you can do this over time. It doesn't have to be all at once on the first date. Um, but you develop your most shameful moments that reside in your heart and you put them on a list and then you share with that person throughout the time that you're dating. I guess that's why I just do it right at the beginning. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to well, waste my time if somebody's going to judge me. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I, I just like to get it out of the way. I think I think I understand where you're coming from. I do. I, it's yeah. a bad tactic, though, I know. Well, it's not necessarily bad. It's the way that's helping you right now in this moment. And I yeah. think that eventually Should. you could, you don't have to necessarily be like, hey, read my here's book my and entire then decide life if you story <laughs> as soon as we meet each other. But I think it's still, yeah, yeah I get it. You want to, you want to. I want to be seen. Yeah, everybody. And still life just the same as before they read all the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... Um, but maybe I should wait a little bit and let them, like, see the real me first before yeah. throwing the book out there. I'll try a new um, tactic. So, anyways, uh, I just shared my kind of... my vulnerabilities and, and how I started to mask it and I maybe developed this from society, a combination of society on, on my own and through family members. But I, yeah... Uh, I think my relationship with food was from the outside, it looked, it looked good. Like it was whole foods and I was healthy, but at times I would overeat. And I think that has something to do with also like fast food corporations and how they've kind of hacked our food a little bit. But anyways, uh, 
I developed coping mechanisms and I think a lot of people do. Um, and we have to grow from those. We have to be aware of them, see how they protected us at one point and then how they're hindering us right now as adults. Um, so I was wondering if you feel called to share like the beginning of your life and, and maybe where these stemmed from. Cause I think a lot of, a lot of women would appreciate, um, hearing your story of, of just where things began and how that evolved over time. Of course, I'm happy to share. Okay. Um, so as far as my family life, my family, I love them. We're all very close. Uh, my mom, dad, and my sister. Um, but what really stemmed for me was uh, initiation into high school. Mm. Yeah. I grew up in Tyler, Texas, and over in East Texas, it's it's kind of brutal when it yeah, comes it to um, going to school there and being the black sheep and the oddball. And, you know, I was in the eighth grade. I ended up you know, hooking up with somebody who was a sophomore and like didn't really know what was happening in high school, but I broke up the most popular couple. Oh, wow. And so the girl's older sister was a senior when I was a freshman. And of course, um, I got like really a lot of hate for breaking up this couple. And like, it wasn't even worth it, to be honest. <laughs> like, I talk about it on page one, so you can actually get it for free on mm -hmm. Amazon Kindle. <laughs> I would have saved that for chapter two if I knew the first chapter was free. Mm. But um, it's a good hook, I guess. Um, but yeah, I got labeled going into high school as the biggest fucking slut at Robert E. Lee. Mm. And I was initiated so badly. I was like the first one that they did anything to. It was the whole high school minus the freshman boys out in this field that was like one of the one of the students land mm -hmm. and they had oh, like their mothers out there drinking and everybody was drinking and it was like a big fat mess mm -hmm. like it was like dazed and confused and my school thought literally dazed and confused was made about their high school because on the bus it says robert e lee oh really in the movie in the movie it says that but i mean it it's all very confusing, but it was a 40-year tradition at my high school mm. whenever I was um, initiated. Interesting. That's kind of crazy. That's such a classic movie. Yeah. I want to find the... Because uh, it's based in Austin, too. Yeah. I want to find the producer and see if he wants to actually make a Days to Confuse No More huh. film. Interesting. Because it's like, that's where it all started. Mm. And like, init getting initiated and getting hazed and then getting... Like, I had vinegar in my eyes. They got a fresh bottle of ketchup and filled up my whole ear canal. Oh, and it was, like, really brutal. They had me on my knees and labeled me as the biggest fucking slut at Robert E. Lee and was, like, hitting me in the head with eggs. But it was okay because it was, like, an egg. They, mm -hmm. were, they were hitting me. Yeah. I got verbally, mentally, and physically abused and didn't talk for a week. Um, that, I think, was when my, like, innocence was ripped away. And mm -hmm. I was... I was a little traumatized. Yeah. A lot of traumatized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my mom, she's such like a strong mama bear. Mm. I love her so much. I think she has a lot to do with uh, why I had the courage to write a book because she had the courage to go on the news. Mm. And she was like, this does not need to happen to anybody else going into high school. Like, what the hell is this? Mm -hmm. And she caused a ruckus and 
the police got involved and of course there was underage drinking. So everybody had to get called out of class. Mm. And like, you know, as a freshman in high school, you're like, don't give me any more horrible attention. <laughs> but I, um, I kind of numbed myself out throughout high school. Yeah. yeah. I, um, my mom made a difference though. After my class, like initiation wasn't really the same. Mm -hmm. It had like dwindled down. It was like in smaller groups. It was innocent again. So I'm proud of my mom for going to the police and causing a ruckus and yeah. making noise because there was like me and three other girls that really got targeted because we were pretty. Mm -hmm. And um, and the other girls' parents didn't want to speak up mm. because it's taboo. Yeah. So my mom was just like, "You're an inspiration. You're a trailblazer. Let's go." So mm -hmm. um, she actually wrote her own little version of a book of what happened because she didn't know how else to process because she didn't have anybody to talk to there. Yeah, so. and just to just to um, provide some clarity on that. So when yeah. I was listening. Um, she filed the police or she went to the police first and she was pretty much just like looked at as we're not going to do anything. This is pointless. Um, this is a tradition that we've been doing. So maybe she had some shame for like tattletailing a little bit or in a way as an adult. I think I'm trying yeah. to remember what you portrayed in the, in the audio book, but. Um, so yeah, no, in the audio book, I think my mom just had shame that she couldn't protect me. Like it was out of okay. her hands. So like that yeah. was her way of protecting me was yeah. going to the police and she didn't care what I had to say about it. She mm -hmm. didn't care what anybody else had to say about it. She just knew she had to say something. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of like courage of like going against the grain, like kind of really set in to my upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. That she could just like say, fuck everybody else. Like <laughs> this isn't right. Yeah. Um, and but, then she wrote that short story, yeah, which ignited people to reach out to her, yeah, to be like, "Hey, we resonate with this." And she did end up getting a lot of support from a lot of other parents whose children have gotten hazed, mm. um, and you know that kind of thing like sticks with you, from like the label of biggest fucking slut. Yeah. Like in high school, I'm like, well. If you're gonna call me that, I might as well play the role. Mm -hmm. And so, like that kind of was what I took on for yeah. a, a long time, and that kind of like was ingrained. And a lot of those sexual experiences that I talk about in my book, um, but it's not a part of me anymore. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because like so much has happened since the book has been released, and it's almost like me talking about all these sexual experiences have made me the complete opposite now that I don't drink anymore because mm -hmm. now I'm holding true and in, in integrity with my boundaries and what's meant for me and what's not because mm -hmm. I can feel what's right for my heart and what's not yeah a lot better but when I was young and in high school I had no idea so I took a lot of Xanax and I yeah. took a lot of mushrooms and I took a lot of acid and I was a crazy wild kid yeah I'm surprised I'm still alive <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for a reason. You're, yeah, you're here to share your story. And uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm seven years younger, but even when I was in high school, I went to a public school in Massachusetts. And I mean, there was drugs everywhere. Everywhere. My, sorry to my high school, but it was called, <laughs> the name of my high school was Shepherd Hill and it was called Pill Hill. Pill Hill. There was a lot of, lot of opioids and a um, lot of, I watched 
in a way too, I'm grateful for this because I was, I was able to watch friends that I made. So I was from one town and, and Shepherd Hill was two, um, two towns. And so there's like two towns, two middle schools that come together. Uh, and so I made friends with certain people from the other school, uh, the other town, and they were great. They were awesome people. And we just bonded freshman year. And I just visibly could observe their personality change as they became affiliated with the popular kids that were doing drugs. And a lot of, most of the popular kids were doing drugs. Um, that was the cool thing to do to get real high. And uh, I, I stuck with alcohol and weed, um, mainly weed in high school. Uh, but um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was heavily circulated in, in high school. And we did have some hazing. It wasn't nearly as bad as uh, Tyler, Texas. Mm. But um, yeah, I, I can resonate with what you go through if you have certain internal things that you don't know how to figure out on your own. And so smoking weed and we know, we now know cause like smoking weed back in the day, uh, at least when I was a kid and before that was a healthier thing to do and drink and do other drugs. And nowadays, I mean, uh, I mean, smoking weed's still much better, better than doing drugs, but still it can, it can still affect your brain when your, your brain is growing at that point in your life. Uh, but also, yeah, alcohol was just clouding, um, going into college to clouding my picture of who I was, my mind, my soul. <laughs> and if you just keep doing that, cat, just, just this cycle over and over of, um, trying to cope through substances, you're never going to find the clarity to figure out who you, you're going to lose the sense of who you are, who you truly are. I think it goes back to like, we're all scared of feeling. Yeah. And that's why yeah. we go for a glass of wine or why we go for that joint after work or yeah. why we, you know, get really stressed and then take a Xanax or whatever it is mm -hmm. for whoever. Yeah. Vape or what, nowadays it could be a little healthier, but like watching Netflix and being on your phone and oh, yeah. all these different, like there's so many up. There's so, so many, many distractions. Yeah. Even sex. Yeah. Just yeah, checking I mean, out and like, I don't know, uh, you know, I lead breath work. I lead the holotropic breath work. Mm. Um, it's a wonderful way to dive deep into your healing journey and give yourself the space and capacity to feel mm -hmm. what's stored in the body because the body keeps score. Yeah. Whether you realize it or not, or the mind keeps score. And mm. Until we actually give these emotions and these feelings a place to be seen, a place to be heard, a mm. place to be expressed, and also purposefully, mindfully released, we're going to hold on to it. And some of the stuff that comes up, it's not even ours. It's our family's generation. Mm. Going back to your grandpa who drinks, you know, like stored generational trauma can happen up to seven generations. That's crazy. Yeah. There's a crazy um, scientific study that had lab rats that had like a cherry blossom tree and they were in a box and they would show a cherry blossom tree and then they would shake the box and it scared the shit out of the rats. Mm. Well, they did the whole seven up to seven generations thing and had their kids 
get in a box and then they showed him the cherry blossom tree, but they didn't move the box, but the yeah. rats freaked out. Yeah. And they did it up to seven generations. And so it's uh, epigenetics right there. That's just a rat. I mean, yeah. it could be totally different for and human. more for humans. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, until we face what needs to be seen, we're just pushing it under the rug. Mm-hmm. So that's why authenticity and being vulnerable and speaking your story and owning it and just coming out with it and being like, yo, this is me. Yeah. Like it or leave it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, a way that we can own our own past pain and actually help it to fuel what's aligned for us mm-hmm. if we use it in that way. Or we can keep hiding and keep going to the pill or the drink. Yeah. Yeah. And so I liked the fact that you brought us down. A good portion of the book shows the stages of from high school to you know, being in Costa Rica in your 20s um, and even after going back to the States, uh, California, I think it was, mm-hmm. and then Austin. And yeah, you're still, you know, displaying the fact that you're still drinking and, and um, you know, it was, I, I liked how you, you showed and you, you got into detail of all these stages. It, it may have seemed similar, like you're drinking and you're you know, using substances, but I think that amount of t- the amount of times that you continue to state it, um, it kind of you just keep get like the reader or the listener just keeps like getting hit with all these, all the times that you're talking about it, and then towards I forgot what chapter it was, but you met this guide. I thought his name was Kevin, or yeah. some other, maybe John. Um, I don't know. I changed some of the names. Okay. In so my book. this guide that brought you over the Mexican border. Oh, Frank. Frank. Yeah. My healer. Yeah. Um, I was listening to that the other night. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so if you could bring us from the first moment you met that person to what you experienced, because that was like the shift, I think, that you, oh, yeah. that you had in your journey. And... I've done ayahuasca before and it was actually like four months ago for the first time. And so (laughs) my view on plant medicines and different alternative ways of healing has changed. It's not like woo woo or (laughs) irrational (laughs) nowadays for me. Yeah. It might be for some other people. But when I was listening to this, I was like, whoa, I, I was just like, I was picturing it in my head. Um, and I'm glad you were able to like imagine it from what I was yeah, I've had writing. That, yeah, I've, I've had that kind of, I mean, I think, like, actually I got a buddy that said he just doesn't ever imagine things in his head. He just doesn't have that. But I think some people have the ability to like when they're, when they're reading and when they're listening to something, they can picture it in their head. And so I was doing that for uh, this, this section. And um, yeah, it's kind of wild uh, to listen to. And I was wondering if you, if you felt called to share how you met this guy and <laughs> um, and then how it evolved. Um, yeah, actually, this is definitely the catapulting time of my life mm-hmm. that everything kind of shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I had just gotten back from Costa Rica and I was working at a strip club and um, I actually met this guy in the strip club. It was like towards the end of the night 
And he came in and he was just like, you're a healer. You don't know it yet, but you're a healer. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a sexual healer. Of course, <laughs> I heal people all the time with my touch. And yeah. he was like, no, no, no. Like, really, you're you're really lost and you're really sick and you don't know it. And at the time I was actually really sick. I, of course, was like even deeper into alcohol and still working at the strip club and doing cocaine. And I was lost and I was having like really bad pain underneath my left rib. Mm. And I, it was like two months after coming back from Costa Rica and I went to the doctor for it and they couldn't really figure out like what it was, but they put me on some medication and took that and I was still having my horrible pain and I was having like um, irregular spotting. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, at the time I was like still on birth control and I think that shit really fucks you up too. Yeah. <laughs> um, from being on it from 13 to 30. Yeah. Definitely kind of like fucked up my own personal yeah. like rhythm. But um, so I was in the middle of some second medication that my doctor had prescribed because the first one they were like, oh, we misread your chart. It was like this weird thing where. Thanks, doc. Yeah. Appreciate it. Don't trust the medical field that much. But um, so this guy in the strip club, Frank, he was just like, you really need help. And at the time I was like, I don't know if I should trust you. I'm meeting you at a strip club. Like, yeah. I'm going to trust your word for two cents. Yeah. And he was like, no, you have to come to Mexico with me. I'm like, bro, I'm not going to Mexico with yeah. a stranger. And he was like, but you're very sick. You're going to die soon. And, you know, at the time, I kind of was slowly killing myself because I had a random guy in my bed and a bottle of tequila. And, like, I was just drinking and mm -hmm. drinking and... um. You know, I had this, like, really heavy energy that was around me. I was wearing all black. I wasn't myself. I wasn't happy. And like I said earlier, like, when you drink, you're inviting other spirits in. Mm -hmm. And, like, I was just very in a dark space. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I, like, talked to my mom about it. I was like, I don't know. I think I should do this. And she was scared shitless. She was like, I don't know. It sounds like snake scum. Um, and... I don't know what stopped me because I basically like I was basically feeling like I was dying anyway. And so I was like, well, I have nothing to lose. Either that or I die. I don't really care if I die anyway. So mm. me not really caring if I lived or died. I was like, OK, fine, let's just go. So I went to Mexico with him. Um, and in order to do like this healing session, it was with a Kunandetta healer. And basically, she takes um, any negative energy out of you, um, and it comes out in the form of an animal. Very interesting procedure. I didn't quite understand it. I am just kind of rolling with it. Mm -hmm. Anyways, um, Frank picks me up. We drive seven hours to Monterey, Mexico, and we enter into like this like shack-like neighborhood. And of course, I take documentation of all of it. Mm -hmm. For Just my, to make sure, yeah. If, for well, for that, and also for my TV series. Okay. You know, mm. it's good to have some like real life moments yeah. of me, like, oh shit. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so uh, we get into this place. I had to have some lady put my name on the list. So that lady who put my name on the list was there, and she was like a psychic medium, and she was trying to figure out what was wrong with me, mm -hmm. and. 
we were going through um, all the pictures of my exes because she was like, somebody put a curse on you. So you had the pictures. Well, I had pictures of exes and yeah, yeah. things like that in my phone. She was very, very clear. She was like, oh, that guy doesn't like what you call him. Oh, that guy really loved you, but he didn't know how to love. And like, she was very on point with like each ex that I showed a picture of. But she was like, no, no, no. This person had light skin, dark curly hair. And mm-hmm. um, there was only one person that really fit that description. And then she also added, um, and he also fed you. You ate some of his food that he brought you. Mm. And it was crazy because right before I left, I had a doctor friend uh, who was also a surfer and, you know, pretty nice guy. But I, he came over to write my dog as an emotional support dog to fly on the plane and he brought sushi whenever that happened. And I was like, well, he fits the description. He fed me sushi whenever he came to my house to mm. write my dog as my emotional support dog right before I left Costa Rica. I ended up trading him a bottle of wine for a prescription to Valium. So take note later on down the line. Anyway, so I go to do this healing and basically how it works is the healer, her name was Betty. She came in um, and I had to sit on a massage table, lay on my back, have this plastic wrap around it. I didn't have my shirt on, so I was laying there like vulnerable and open. Mm -hmm. Frank was in the room. That lady was in the room who wrote my name on the list, and so was Betty. And then I lay on the table, and Betty has a knife, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm about to die. (laughs) I know. It's, like, super surreal, but I just, like, had to go in, like, trust mode. (laughs) Holy shit. That's crazy. I know. I can't believe I did any of this, to be honest. But I did, and I'm here, and it helped, so you never really know. Yeah. But, um... So, yeah, I'm on the table. Betty has the knife. And then she ends up putting it up to my chest here. Mm-hmm. And she starts scraping like this. Just with like, the, is it a dull with knife? An, I don't remember, to be honest. I was scared she this. It was a knife. Yeah. Um, it could have been a butter knife. Yeah. I, it didn't cut me. Okay. So it wasn't, it couldn't have been too it didn't, sharp. I mean, it just kind of created friction and made a little red scratch. Okay. So she was doing that. While Frank was pouring this holy water on top of where she was doing the friction. And then the lady who put my name on the list had toilet paper wrapped around her hands. And she was creating friction around Mm. where Betty was. It was like a lot of sensation overloads of like three different people working on me. And I'm just laying there like, oh. Um, And so when that happened, um, everybody's animal that comes out is different depending on like what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Um, But this type of healing can actually help with depression, addiction. Um, It can clear out like negative entities or curses Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, But for me, what came out was a snake. I had a snake head that was like chopped off. Its tongue was still sticking out. This is where. Yeah, this is. Okay, I guess. Well, what I was going to ask is that this you actually saw this. Yeah. And, and well, the, I also and, felt it. And Frank and Betty mm-hmm. saw it as well. And this other lady who wrote my name on the list. But yeah, I, so I was laying a on snake. my back. Yeah. It wasn't moving, it was dead. And yeah, it was almost like this volcanic eruption that happened. 
to me and it just felt like a lot of pressure that where was did just it come out of okay so that's the thing it came out where she was like the, apparently betty had been able to morph negative energy into animal form since she was a child and apparently anybody can kind of do this work if you hone in on the skills enough mm-hmm. um she practiced by being able to move water with the mind so sitting a glass of water yeah. there yeah but um so yeah basically she was able to like kind of i guess like a little bit of reiki energy work where it's just like everything is kind of bubbling up to the mm-hmm. surface and a snake is supposed to resemble like a shedding of skin like a transition is happening so typically people are just doing one of those energetic surgeries and then they're done they're good but whenever i stood up i felt a pain that I was having under my left rib and I would look down and it was literally jumping to the right side of my rib cage what and then the, to the left. Like you could see through. I your... could see my stomach moving like wild fucking story. Yeah. But there was something inside of me that was moving from the left side to the right side to the left side to the right side. And I kid you not, it was so painful that I was basically feeling like I was dying. So I started to lose sensation in my arms and my legs because when your body's in your fight or flight mode mm-hmm. and you're, yeah, yeah, you're about to die. Pretty much, your main organs are gonna be what keeps yeah. online, and yeah. you don't need your limbs, you don't need your arms, so they go first, and that's what was happening. And I was like starting to faint, and I could like feel myself like losing it. And of course, we're in Mexico; everything's in Spanish. I don't really know what's going on. They're all talking mm-hmm. in Spanish really fast. And I like saw Betty go over to the corner and she did a little prayer because she was about to go up to something bigger than mm-hmm. what she was used to doing. And then her son came in and she he was like cleaning off the table to do the procedure again. But you have to start from scratch. It has to be clean. Mm-hmm. I was sitting over on the side of the chair or over on the side, just like screaming to everybody in the waiting room is probably like holy shit yeah. what's happening yeah yeah i was an abnormal case um doesn't normally happen but i had something really evil inside me and i had to get this procedure done again but this time over where the thing was moving mm-hmm. so fast forward i get back on the table and um Betty comes back over and she starts like pointing at my stomach and saying in Spanish, like, you stay down, stay down. I guess because she was about to put the knife there and she didn't want whatever to move mm-hmm. with her scraping. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she started to do the procedure again. Frank started to pour the holy water again. The lady put my name on the list, started to do the pressurized around where Betty was scraping and... This time, this huge volcanic eruption came out, and what came out was not an animal. And because it didn't come out in animal form, it means that there was a curse that was put on me. And they said that the curse was either to kill me or stop me from reproducing. And I was like, why would somebody do this to me in the first place? Um, But what came out of me was a wine cork I had a nail hammered into it and it was like it was a nasty a nasty looking nail like you don't want to keep these objects or take pictures of it it's negative energy you want to yeah. like throw it away and burn it 
But Frank picked it up just to show me with my own eyes. The same with the snake. Same with this wine cork. It looked evil. It was like all charcoal black. And like that nail that was sticking out of the wine cork was what was scraping my oh. insides. Basically going from ovary to ovary. You said that you gave a bottle of wine to that gentleman? I gave a bottle of wine to that gentleman. So how curses are made is um, you know, something of theirs that you consume, something of mine that I consume give to them. Consume or is it just the simple well, when exchanging? You, when you, it could be either. You know, you can put a curse on someone just with a thought. It's not scary. It's not real. Intention is very powerful. Words are spells. So it's, I apparently, like, I strongly believe in that whole side because I've actually witnessed it myself. Um, and I also, like, I know how much it can, you know, ruin someone. And I mean, people with not the right guidance or a frank in their lives, you know, could end up in suicide or overdose very easily. That could have been me. Mm. Just because I had something else, like, attached to me. But so that healing session was a huge success. We got the curse out of me. You know, in 37, I still don't have kids. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I can reproduce. Mm. Uh, I guess you got to find the right mate in order for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to, but I don't want to do that alone. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, after that happened, Betty had agreed with Frank that I was a healer. And that's actually why I had the curse put on me. Huh. And in a weird way, the curse saved my life and helped me realize my own potential as a healer. Because as I was this like fucked up little druggy stripper girl, like she was not living to her fullest potential. Yeah. She was wasting her life. And Betty agreed that I was a healer. And that I was here for a purpose and a mission. And so she actually helped me seal my veins so nobody else could put a curse on me. That was a whole different um, scenario. I had to regain power, though. So I had to go and eat some food and get some chicken soup. Yeah. And I'm still just blown, like, yeah. blown away by the fact that Kevin... Or not Kevin. Frank. Frank. Yeah. Oh, I, um, they picked up, like you observed this, and it came out of your body. And uh, it's just so wild to, like from all perspectives, I think most of America and any other culture would say that's nuts, right? And... I don't know. If, I think I mentioned it. Um, I mentioned it in a writing of mine. Um, but I, I'm not entirely sure if I mentioned it on the podcast, but along my first ayahuasca journey four months ago, um, it was a very healing, like growth impact, impactful uh, session, both ceremonies. There's one moment um, that I couldn't tell you right now if it was physical reality or if it was my own imagination in the ayahuasca medicine. Like Joe Dispenza talks about there's Newtonian physics, Isaac Newton, classic founder of physics, I believe, um, laws of physics. I could be mm -hmm. messing that up. Uh, it's been a while since I've studied physics, but um, 
And then there's the five, so that's the 3D dimensional Newtonian physics. And then there's the unified field of quantum physics and it's five dimensional. And this is in his book, Supernatural. So you can, instead of just listening to me, you can just check out the book because he describes it in detail way better. Um, and so part of me feels like when I was doing ayahuasca, I was in that uh, field or I was in that reality. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure. It's my first time ever doing it. And I'm still trying to understand it. But anyways, there was a, a dream, a nightmare that I had in 2020. And it was um, something that felt really like very real. And it was as if um, I was like super skeptical of COVID and the government. And like, I was not afraid of the virus. I was afraid of the government. That's just where my head was at, at the time. This is three years ago. And I had this crazy nightmare where the government developed some type of tech, like nanotechnology, which is like, uh, just like a little bit of like a, uh, like mechanical, like mosquito that would fly into your ear. And that's what happened in my nightmare. And it flew into my ear and then it went in the back of my head. And then a day later went by and I had a huge bump on the back of my head. And so then I freaked out because I, I was in reality. I was awake. I wasn't dreaming. And I just like played it off like it didn't happen or I was like, it could be a zit. It could be a mosquito, like an actual whatever. I don't know. But uh, something happened in my subconscious with that dream, that nightmare. And when I did ayahuasca, there was a very powerful moment in the first ceremony that felt like it banished that away because what happened was I felt something in my ear and I went to go pick it out and it was this black worm and I looked at it. It was a black worm and we're in the jungle of Costa Rica. So there's tons of insects and animals, but I saw it and I threw it down. I got shocked. And it was the one moment where I was like really just like anxious out of like two eight hour sessions. And then I like got up and I went to go look for it. And I like only threw it down right in between these two mattresses. There was no way it could have gotten too far. I couldn't find it. But what I have told, I've, I've told friends is that whether that was physically real or it was just my imagination, it banished away that nightmare, that subconscious belief that I may have just embodied like this nightmare that I had, even though from any practical stance or any rational stance, like sounds insane. My mind, the power of my mind believed that it was real. And I'm maybe, uh, maybe I'm associating these two things and they're comp not correlated at all, but a part of me just my intuition says it is. And yeah, from all stances, like my parents listening to this, family members listening to this, anybody listening to this, surprisingly, actually, they were way more accepting when I told them when I went back home uh, about ayahuasca. They were like, wow, that's very interesting. I was like really grateful because some people yeah. can be really weird about it, uh, family members. But anyways, what I just discussed and what you just discussed sounds fucking nuts. Sounds crazy. Yeah. And. Because uh, it, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. But we're all these energetic beings, right? Like we're more than just this human shell that we're living in. And the imagination and the the fact that the other side of things that we can't see, there's like a whole nother world. Mm -hmm. yeah. And being open to experiencing energetic surgery. And whenever that happened, I was 100% completely sober. Yeah. I, I was going to ask yeah, yeah, for context. No. 
I was not on anything until I was had my veins sealed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then I had to drink a shit ton yeah. of tequila. They told you to do, to drink tequila. I didn't want to. I, after that healing session that I did, I was like, I feel so pure. <laughs> I feel clean. I had like entities. Like I had Daddy. so much weight off of my shoulders. Mm. But it was all this energy that I had trapped in my body. Kind of like, wow, that worm could have been some energy or limiting beliefs stuck in your brain. Mm. You know, you could have done your own kind of form of kunandera healing. We all can do this type of healing, though. That's what it stems back to. Like, we can all be our own healers. And, yeah, some of it has to be with the imagination and the unthinkable. Because, you know, there's a huge saying, like, if you believe it's possible, then it shall be. And so, like... I mean, there's one real, real yeah. quick. There's uh, someone that had multi-personality disorder. He had, like, seven to eight personalities. And one of his personalities, he was highly, like this was actually, this is factual. This is power of the mind. He was highly allergic. I think it was like oranges. doesn't really matter what food it was. But if he had oranges, he would break out in hives all over his body, like crazy hives. But then he switched over to a different personality and he would have the oranges. Didn't break out in any hives. Mind over matter. Yeah. And that's like an actual thing that's happened. And, uh, Interesting. It's, yeah. So like when people listen to the two experiences that we've mentioned and then you think about, yeah, the power of the mind of this actual, I could try to pull it up um, where it was documented and experimented, but this was a, a real person that had, yeah, multi-personality disorder. One of their personalities, they were so allergic to something. And when, when they switched over, they were fine. So it goes to show that this person's mind, their personality, their their neurons in their brain when they were in this identity changed the way their nervous system reacted in a completely polar opposite way. And that's fascinating to think about. And um, we there's just so much we don't know about quantum physics and the mind and consciousness. So for people to roll their eyes over what you went through, I mean, I, I understand why, you know, we all live in our bubbles of rationality and we don't see things like that happen. And to be honest, a couple, if I had listened to you a couple of years ago, I would have said, or even, yeah, like a year ago, I would have said that's blasphemy. <laughs> I know. But, I mean, people are going to think what they're going to think. I don't really care at this point, but. I mean, you spent the time to, to yeah. talk about it and, um, I tend to think that I have a strong sense of when people are bullshitting and I don't seem like you're doing that. So no, I'm a really bad liar, (laughs) but like something about my story, I felt like I had to share everything. Yeah. And even the unthinkable shed the ego of what people are going to think, you know, you can believe it if you want to or, but I, I don't necessarily want to help other people try to find that because I did try to help someone find that. Mm. and whatever they had came to haunt me. Mm. And so, like, I don't want to be a ghostbuster. <laughs> That's not my job title. Oh, but That I am, sounds pretty cool, though. If somebody wants to research Kunandetta healing, they can find that on their own. Maybe I can put in the show notes of this episode. But, um, yeah. okay, so she sealed your veins and had you drink 
tequila. I had to stand in a circle of fire, too. What? Yeah. I don't know if I remember that. It was, um, yeah, so it was um, in her laundry room. Okay. It was like after hours, she had me come back so that she could seal my veins while I was in Mexico. Mm. How'd she do that? Um, basically, she was drawing on all the points where veins could be open. It was like on all your fingers, your oh, wow. tongue, your toes, back of your knees, <laughs> your, like everywhere. Yeah. But like to start the ceremony of sealing the veins, I had to step into fire, a ring of fire. It was like chalk and fire. Mm. And then I had to drink like a big giant juice glass filled with tequila, which I didn't want to because I yeah. felt so clean and I was like, well, I don't understand why I have to put alcohol in my body. So I did. Anyways, and um, she was sealing the veins and then I had to do another shot in the middle and I couldn't stop. I couldn't throw any of it up. I had to drink the whole thing. And I guess um, I did that three times. So I, by the time I was done with the ceremony, I was fucked up. But um, it was basically to purge whatever was still in me out. Mm -hmm. And I did have like an exorcism purge and Frank's rental car on accident. Yeah, I remember that. Half was out of the car yeah. and half was not. Yep. I also had one last little crazy run for it too. I like tried to open the door afterwards when I was really drunk mm. and jump out of the car. Mm. Yeah. And Frank grabbed me and pulled me back in and then pulled on the side of the road. And then I tried to start running off into the middle of Mexico. Wow. Yeah. And he caught me and he wrapped his arms around me and I was running because I was like, I felt like I was being swarmed by a bunch of like bad, evil, negative spirits. And I technically was because Frank came around and he started doing the prayer. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I just kept repeating that over and over and over until the energy got lighter. And eventually it, it went away, but it was like chaos in my mm. mind. So, I mean, alcohol is really yeah not a good thing for me anymore because I'm too sensitive now. Yeah, I haven't had it for about five months now, which is the longest. I, longest period abstaining from it um, since I was like a teenager, so. Congrats. Thanks. It's like a whole new way of living. Yeah. I feel... Uh, it was easy. It was natural for me because I was already coming here, you know, um, exercising, sauna, just being a healthy person and the frequency to which, like the community aspect helps out a lot. Like you don't, there's a good amount of people that I've met that are now my friends that just don't drink and we do, we do other cool stuff. Like we had a cool little backyard hangout and had snacks and we just, it was a circle of us talking about aliens <laughs> this is the aspect of what we believe yeah you know and like just just instead of going out and drinking and maybe masking things we don't want to confront we talk about fun topics like i've done one little hangout where everybody it's just a it's called spirituality night and there's no specific religion it's just what do you think like what where is your head at and everybody no one mentioned Catholicism or Christianity or whatever. It was like just a conversation about, I don't know. Um, yeah, where our spiritual presence is or 
just different ideas. Um, wasn't like more of the organized religious uh, practices. So um, it's good to have an open mind about all of it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I like to say the universe. I say or that spirit too. guides, I say angels, source sometimes. Too. Yeah, make it a little bit more generalized so it doesn't like freak people out. Yeah, but I mean, whatever you call it, there's something else out there. Yeah, that's guiding us or showing us signs and synchronicities and I, aligning I, the right people in our path. Yeah, and th there's been after ayahuasca, the amount of synchronicities that I have was just like weird, like a good weird, but it was just happening so often that. I was like, okay, um, this isn't just sheer coincidence. This is, something's happening here. And it was like the way I felt too, like my consciousness as well. I was like, felt so open and loving and the frequency to which I was thinking was just different and a higher form of yourself. Um, yeah. I've done ayahuasca once. How'd that go? Two years ago. It was actually very calm and peaceful. Mm. It wasn't anything outrageous it was with frank um oh, actually okay. in temple texas okay he has a yoga studio out there that he's labeled as a church huh. for the pachamama and so he has a guy from mexico come out and do ceremonies there okay so it was um i came into it and the shaman and frank had me do like extra things to protect me because mm. of what happened to me in mexico Okay. And I had been scared to do anything that was so out of my yeah, yeah. element sense. But Pretty serious thing to do, ayahuasca. It really is. And it was like a first date for myself. So I, like, I didn't quite know like the right questions to ask. And so I was, yeah. I was just kind of sitting there like shy <laughs> with myself. I don't know. Yeah. It wasn't a horrible experience. It was just kind of like a, a slight little shift. Yeah. And then I felt really light afterwards. And then... I don't know, like you said, things just kind of like aligned. So well, yeah. Or when you have a bunch of synchronicities like land in front of you, it's just your angels and spirit guides saying like, this is the right path, keep going. Mm -hmm. Yes, right here. Or Part of that, part of those synchronicities was this podcast. And oh. so that's why I'm like continuing to follow it. Um, there's a lot of times where I want to quit because... I'm too fucking tired. I'm not making any money on this thing, you know? But Yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keyword. Yeah. I, yeah, it feels right. It's all I can think about right now. Uh, well, I work a nine to five as well that I really like as, um, as a, you know, foundational revenue, but also the culture's great and whatnot. But um, so after all this happened, you went back, to Austin, right? Yeah. Well, my session in Mexico. Yeah. I ended up staying in Mexico for like two or three days to like recover. Okay. And then I came back. But I, it was a lot of energy that got taken from me. And also whenever I got my veins sealed and I started to go down the alcohol route, I mm -hmm. just like kept drinking the rest of the bottle of tequila afterwards. Yeah. So the next day I like slept, but you have to drink this tea three times a day, three times, like three cups, three times a day. So, um, and then whatever's left over, you pour it over you in the shower. Mm -hmm. It was like this interesting ritual. If you didn't do it, then it didn't 
yeah. complete the, I guess, spell? I don't know, yeah, the, yeah. the healing session. So um, after we left the hotel, we actually forgot the tea. Mm. And luckily, whoever was cleaning the room knew what it was. And so they kept the tea cold and they didn't throw it away because if they would have thrown it away, I would have had to do it all over again. Mm. But we retrieved it. Um, I came back uh, to Austin and I think I had another day left where I drank it three times a day. And then I poured it over me in the shower and this tea was like light green, brownish. But when I poured the tea over me, it turned black as it was washing off of me. It was a mindfuck. Yeah. But I remember like, listening to that and that was crazy. Yeah. Now, so I have this thing where um, I kind of incorporate it with me um, kind of healing myself in the shower every day because water is a huge element of like working with energy. Mm -hmm. And so the shower is a great time to do that. So whenever I have my soap, I'm like, washing myself off, but also asking for protection, asking for courage and strength and whatever I may need. Mm -hmm. And then as I wash the soap off, I kind of imagine any negative energy washing off of me. And it always comes out more brown, probably because, you know, I'm dirty too. Yeah. But um, it's also like a mind cleansing mm. thing to think about. Mm -hmm. And I learned it from that experience. But I feel like yeah, that whole experience changed me and my outlook on life. Like, I don't want to, like, take my life for granted. I actually want to use my power mm -hmm. and become a healer and help people. And so now I kind of do the same kind of, like, energetic work. It's not the same type of kundalini healing by any means. It's more like releasing, like, trapped stored energy in the body, whether it be through breath work or whether it be through Reiki or I do assisted stretching as well. But I have noticed that, like, since I've, got labeled as the healer instead of the biggest fucking slide. <laughs> you know, I've taken on the role of a healer yeah. and it's all about perception and how I view myself now. But it's, you know, it all stems back from how I viewed myself starting into high school. And mm -hmm. so it's a beautiful evolution to see. But, yeah, yeah, it's really cool to to go back with you like in my own imagination of when you were in high school and to just kind of envision everything that you went through and then see where you're at now like you can see on Instagram where you're at and yeah so now you're you're doing what you just said but are you hosting retreats you said yeah, yeah. so okay it's one thing to write a book but another thing to lead yoga and healing retreats that really implement tools in order to help become your own healer mm -hmm. so um, my next retreat is in El Salvador so cool. I love I love surfing too so that's going to be a part of the retreat as well but uh it's November 27th to December 2nd mm. and I'm very excited about it um I also have ones that I lead in Costa Rica I did two in 2022 um at a place called Selva Armania it's a really cool spot um in Uvita okay yeah. I don't know what that is, but yeah. But the one in um, El Salvador, it's uh, it's a really sweet, special spot. Have you ever been to El Salvador? No, not yet. A lot of people say it's like I've been warned not to go there, and I just want to like 
I went there myself just so I could like test out that theory because I'm one of those things like I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that country. I mean, if anything, like they have poverty because people are scared to go over there. Everybody has poverty. I know. I got a buddy named Zach. Um, he's from Austin. He's been traveling for, I think, half a year now. He's gone. He's gone everywhere, like Egypt, different parts of uh, Asia and Europe, and he's he's just like crushing it. Like every two weeks, he's in a different country, and he had a post, and it was like crazy how Americans think. It's too dangerous to travel here. And he showed the murder rate in comparison to where he was at and other places he went to and then like American cities. And it's like American cities are not getting any better right now in this stage. No, I I mean, just in a week of being back, I heard like 15 gunshots in southeast Austin. Really? In my backyard. Like, Jesus. Yeah, and I didn't hear a single gunshot over in El Salvador. Like, yeah. 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 There's guards that are walking around that have AK-47s, but they're there to help the tourists feel safe because, like, there's this whole, like, I've been warned not to travel there. Well, But it's this fear-mongering that's going on that, like, don't live in fear. Yeah. Like, there's, like, a whole other side of life. Like, everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the job that I have is in Bitcoin, and so El Salvador has been on a lot of Bitcoiners' minds because that— president is the first president to make it to make bitcoin their legal tender yeah which is huge um and so a lot of supposedly their country is really prospering prospering from it um you know a lot of investors entrepreneurs are going over there and deciding to move there and bitcoin yeah it's i won't get too far into it because i want to talk about your story yeah um but it's freedom money and so a lot of yeah, a lot of um, what's wrong with the world, maybe economically, uh, is due to our money system being really, really flawed. And you can consider money just like it's it's humanity's like connective tissue, right? It's like how we exchange energy from one person to another in a peaceful manner. It's a medium of exchange. And so our money system has been completely controlled by a small group of people. And now Bitcoin is just like no one owns it. It's like no one has any control over this monetary system. So anyways, it's really cool to see El Salvador do that. And it seems like that country over the next decade could really expand. I mean, it's like 10 years behind Costa Rica. So like, mm. if you want to buy property, like El Salvador is like the spot yeah, to do it right yeah, now. Yeah, um, It's just starting to kind of like a boom and blossom and... Um, you know, the surf competition, WSL was just held there. Oh, cool. Um, and El Tunco. And it's starting to get more popularity. And honestly, the new president who changed to having Bitcoin become a form of payment there is like, the new president is like on his game. Yeah, he's pretty bad. He's a badass. Yeah. Badass and state. he's, he's actually helped like shift the whole like gang syndrome that yeah. was happening that people are warned not to go there for. That was the old president. He's yeah. actually hiding out in Nicaragua. Really? <laughs> yeah, because mm. he's not welcome in El Salvador. Mm. Like, the El Salvadorians are the sweetest, most peaceful people I know. Wow. It's it, cool. It's really a, a beautiful thing. And part of the retreat, we're actually giving back to the community there. Oh, cool. So uh, part of the proceeds are going to get school supplies for the kids to learn English. Uh. Because in my opinion, like, having a lifelong trait that can help build them money and better opportunities for a lifetime yeah. 
is important and yeah. sober gonna help those kids and do a yoga class with them and then nice. they have to do community work twice a month mm. where they do a beach cleanup so we're gonna help them with one of those sweet i'm not gonna make my retreat guest clean up stuff on the beach but yeah. you know like mother they earth do it yeah and if they want to do it they can do it yeah. i'm doing it you're probably so. gonna feel like an asshole if you're like yeah i'm gonna pass i and know go, <laughs> don't be the asshole yeah um <laughs> they just open just i'm for, just kidding for women or is it just men um it's open for women and men okay um there's like a whole outdoor gorilla style gym mm. too so i mean whether it be surf yoga breath work working out relaxing doing adventures and tours and mm -hmm. just being in a place where you can have like sober, curious fun and make good connections. I'm all about building exciting things for people to do that don't involve alcohol mm -hmm. and a way that I can like implement the lessons from my book in real life time yeah. by hosting these retreats and being an interactive author and going to that next phase. Like yeah. anybody can write a book. Anybody can say the audio version but like I want to help even deeper and even farther somehow so mm. yes my mission is strong so that's awesome uh I can link that in the episode um thank you I didn't uh get to the end of your audio book I don't know if you want to talk about it and like kind of I mean, um, it, sound, it sounded like it was kind of wrapping up where I was, you know, talking about how you were doing. Yeah. Healing so, and doing yoga um, lessons and whatnot. And Yeah, I, the end of the book, I end because I'm more than a yoga teacher. I, um, during 2020, I ended up becoming a woodworker because yoga teaching kind of mm. fell off the wayside. Yeah, COVID. COVID. <laughs> so I decided I'm going to be more than just a yoga teacher. And I became a woodworker at the time and basically kind of implementing that you can be whatever the fuck you want to be. Like you're not defined by one specific thing. And mm. so um, I did that. And I also started doing assisted stretching, working for a company. Um, I'm not going to say their name though. But uh, yeah, I just started gaining all these different skills and traits to like build a better version of a healer. Mm -hmm. And so the end of the book is me finally on the path of finding my light and completely eliminating alcohol. For me, I had to fall on my face and break my front tooth off to mm. have that implemented. That's why I drink my coffee now through a straw. <laughs> I don't want to stain my front tooth, mm. but whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that journey of showing my realness, the ma majority part of the book, I'm talking about, like, the deep, dark, yeah. Stories. And yeah. so the like last two chapters, I finally have started to get into the light. Mm. But this just is a foreshadowing of a sequel. Mm. So there's the wild journey to the light. And then there's another one, wild journey in the light that's mm. coming up. That Sweet. I'm like, in order to sustain your light and sustain your power, I mean, it takes really being able to protect your energetic field. So I it's think that there's a lot yeah. still to be talked about mm -hmm. when it comes to manifesting and honing your light and finding your power and your direction. And so that's exciting. I want a second book where it's not so dark, but it's a little bit more light. Yeah. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> um, I think that's a great way to conclude uh, this episode. So 
um, at the at the very end, I asked each guest where people can find them. So um, nice. do you want to just introduce that? And I can, yeah, link it in the show notes as well with all, yeah. this, all the other stuff. Of course. Um, you can find me on Instagram, either Ali B Yoga, A-L-L-I, and then be like a bumblebee, mm-hmm. yoga, um, or AliByoga.com or um, Wild Journey to the Light on Instagram as well. Mm. Sweet. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. and Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Peace. See ya. Mm-hmm. <laughs>